0: Before we start the podcast we just have to give an amazing huge wonderful brilliant thank you to jennifer and toby who are our two current patrons at the rainbow parent level on patreon if you haven't heard about our patreon or if you haven't haven't checked it out yet please go ahead the link is going to be in the show notes we have some incredible perks for you if you choose to support the show there including top 10 lists of movie recommendations a queer movie watch along every single month access to our discord just a bunch of cool stuff so go and check it out we really would appreciate it welcome to the queer movie podcast celebrating the best and worst in lgbtq plus cinema one glorious genre at a time i'm rowan ellis and welcome to one of our very special guest episodes today we are joined by you guessed at a very special guest who will be answering the question what movies made me queer i am very excited to welcome eric j brown an award-winning author of the queer ya novels all that's left in the world and lose you to find me which is actually out Next month. Welcome, Eric.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: So, the question that we always ask at the top of these episodes, I use in the title of these episodes queer as a kind of umbrella term, a catch all term, you know, movies that made me queer. But I would love to hear about whether that is, you know, the word that you use to describe your identities, if there's uh, any other ways that you identify. Like, what is the question that we're asking you today?
1: I I do prefer queer. Um, I'm a gay man, but I just think that queer is more of an important word to use than just like gay because it includes every part of our community which I think is very important and so I like to use the word queer I prefer that I say I always say I'm like a queer author too even though a lot of times I have my uh, main characters are gay men I still like to say that they are queer because it's also the kind of way I write books as well I think there's like a way that you can be a queer storyteller that kind of is different from the way that like cishet people tell stories. It's very like you can kind of take more risks and you can blend genres and you don't have to play by the same rules.
0: Amazing. Um, I would love to hear if it and I'm sure that the people who are listening would as well how that maps onto your books right so what tell us a little bit about the your book that's already out and then also I guess the one that's up and coming if they're excited because they are two very different (laughs) genres I guess like two very different stories right
1: yeah so the first one is a post apocalyptic romance and I I wanted to write that one because post-apocalyptic stuff it's always very bleak and my book hits on some of those moments where it's like about dwindling resources and how you kind of are living in this society where there are no rules and basically anybody can do whatever they want. But it never focuses, if it did, it it just didn't focus on queer romance. So I was watching things like The Walking Dead and I was just like, where are all the queer people? Like, are we just better equipped at this? And we're just like, oh, let's just let all the straight people have all of their issues and then we'll just have our own little community over here. And so I just wanted to kind of write a book that explored that and focus more on just this couple falling in love. And the other thing that when I was coming up with the idea, I realized there's more freedom if there is no society for somebody who did not maybe have the time to question his sexuality. And now he no longer has what society presents you should be. And he doesn't have family who could judge him or friends who could judge him. So it's like, that door is open for him to explore. And I just wanted to kind of see how that happened. And it was just, ended up being like this cute little romantic love story. The other, the Lose You find Me, is more of a coming of age story. And one thing that queer kids don't have a lot of is we don't have like kind of guides to show us how queer relationships could work. And I think that was an issue for me when I was coming of age. I was playing by all of the heteronormative rules and that doesn't always work. So it's like, like for instance, when I was in high school, if you, there's a very small queer community when I was in high school, there's probably like three other kids and I'm like, all right, well, I don't like any of them. I like them as friends. I'm not attracted to them. So am I just going to be like lonely until I'm in college? And then like there was times when I was in college and started dating and I was still kind of, playing by those high school rules where it's like, well, if we've gone out on two dates, does that mean that we're dating now? Are we boyfriends? And it's like, meanwhile, they're like, oh no, no, I'm dating four other people and I, you're just fine. So it's like learning all of that, learning who you like, why you like them. And we kind of start off that a little later. And that's kind of what I wanted to explore with Luz Define Me How. It's not always who we are thinking we should be going after is the right person for us, or maybe they are, and we're just not focusing on the things that we do like about them.
0: So amazing. I love it. I've read your first book, yet to read your second, but I'm very excited about it. And I, I just did a video essay actually about queer zombie narratives of which there aren't really many and yeah. they have so much potential exactly for the reason you said of like this weird queer utopia of like a post like homophobic and transphobic society in a weird way it's everyone else's nightmare but then there's yeah. this complete lack of rules and uh, assumptions that can actually be a kind of like weird utopian moment uh, in a strange way so love that um yeah. I would love to dig into your first pick your first movie that made you queer or like piece of media that made you queer. I would love to also know if you have a particular order that you would like to do these in. Some people go with chronological of like from when they were youngest to like the most recent. Some go least unhinged to most unhinged. There's really no rules here. Did you have a a particular order you were thinking of? of going with.
1: So I was going to do chronologically because the first one it was like I was I was sitting down and I was thinking about like the movies that made me queer and I actually had to do a video for Lucy to find me just like a publicity video and one of the questions was who was my queer awakening? And so, in my mind, this this movie is on there. I'm kind of jumping ahead just a little bit to, like, kind of spoil it. But the movie Batman and Robin is on here. Because I think Ooh. as soon as you add nipples to the Batsuit, it's over for all the gaydies in the world. Like, <laughs> that was definitely one of them. And I thought that was, like, my queer awakening. And before I did the video, I, like, just Googled I was like, 90s k- kids queer awakenings. And... The one that like actually surprised me because I had compl- I had like not completely forgotten about it, but I forgot like what it was to me at the time, and all of a sudden I was just like, oh wow! And it's a weird movie because it's not queer at all, <laughs> but it's the Sandlot. It's a children's baseball movie about kids in the 1950s playing baseball in this abandoned lot in their neighborhood, and it's just, like, takes place over this summer when um, this new kid moves into town, and he has no friends, and this kid's walking by, and he's, like, in a baseball hat, he has a baseball bat, and he invites him to play baseball with them. And he doesn't know anything about baseball. And so he goes and learns, starts learning about baseball, and they hit a baseball over the fence. It goes into this yard where there's this big, huge mastiff, that they call the Beast, and he basically kills anybody that goes into his yard. He takes all the baseballs. There's like a graveyard of baseballs from the kids playing in the sandlot. So the kid goes home, and he's like, oh, I know where we have a baseball. And he grabs a baseball from his dad when his dad's at work and doesn't realize that it's signed by Babe Ruth. And so they then hit the ball again, and it goes over the fence and into the dog's yard again. And the rest of the movie Mm -hmm. is just about them trying to get this ball back. And the main character is this kind of like nerdy little kid, but I remember my brothers would always watch this movie. This was like one of those things where as soon as the VHS was over, they would rewind it and start watching it again. And so I had to find some way to enjoy it. And I just really liked the boy that invites him over uh, to play baseball. His name was Benny Rodriguez. And he was like really, really nice. And he was cute. And I just remember like, being a little kid and being like, oh, I would be the dorky main character and he would be nice to me and invite me over. And also he's really cute. And I just never realized at the time that I was thinking he was cute. I was like six years old at the time. And it's just weird that this movie about like friendship and for all intents and purposes, it's a straight movie. It's, there's no romance at all, but it was just that. I like, when I was doing research, just seeing like Benny Rodriguez listed on 90s Queer Awakenings. I was like, oh wait, he was, okay.
0: I So I know very little about baseball um, or this movie. I've been to one baseball game and it was extremely confusing. This I was, is the
1: perfect movie to watch if you don't know anything about baseball because it tells you everything.
0: It was what I like came in and uh, the game was already starting and I was like, are we late? And everyone's like, no, no, you're no. just gonna turn up. And it was like, okay. And they're like, yeah, you can just go and get food whenever.
1: Yeah. You can leave whenever. There
0: was a massive board with numbers on. I didn't know what the numbers meant. I was like, where is the score? Like, these are there's so many numbers on this board. I was so confused. And then, yeah, we just left before the end. I was like, yeah. what a strange experience. Everybody
1: usually leaves around like the seventh inning. They're like, eh, nah, I'm done.
0: I'm like, why not? I also love the fact that like, uh, because of that, because I don't have a lot of knowledge of baseball, I can only assume my only other real exposure to baseball in movies is like Chad and Ryan in... High School Musical 2, in which they are obviously very gay. And yes. so I'm like, well, yeah, baseball's a gay sport. This makes complete sense. It's all coming together now. And I guess also League of Their Own, also very gay. Yeah. So I'm like, well, it, yeah. So as far as I'm concerned, baseball, America's Pastime is just fundamentally queer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it the makes bats, complete sense. I mean. Right? I'm like, what else do I know about? The gloves, the small the little gloves. hill. Small little hills, very gay. And so yeah, I also really love like when you were saying the idea of it explains baseball to you. Because my favorite thing in movies, whether it's sports movies or it's mainly sports movies or like card game movies or betting movies, where because I don't know the rules, the dramatic, like final match or the like okay the final hand in poker i do not understand what's happening i'm really looking for context clues i'm like listening to the music like is this good did they do good is this bad like did they win because i got no clue Um, and i love that i i adore that i think that it's such a like the people that we we have on the show often have a similar experience of either forgetting something that was like completely like a turning point for them or having these sort of shows or or movies that they watch that weren't explicitly queer, but that had an effect and seem to have had an effect across like a bunch of people who are kind of growing up at that age. But I guess it's because like, I mean, I'm going to assume when you were growing up, the same as me, there really wasn't any actual queer media that you could have been watching at that time that would have been the alternative like oh yeah there's this really sweet little romance that happens like kind of between these two boys like the new one to the neighborhood and they end up like liking each other and like it's just not a thing that that we had so there were very much the idea of like you would read into it even subconsciously these ideas of what romance is for a child at that time which is the idea of like friendship and companionship and happiness and cuteness and all that kind of stuff
1: exactly and it's like I, I like after i looked it up i started like remembering parts of the movie and i'm like wait there's also like it starts in the beginning it starts in the present time and then it flashes back and tells this whole story and you find out that the main character is now a baseball announcer he like found love from this game just from this summer with his friends and like he's narrating the story as well and he's like explaining what happened to all the kids in the sandlot and then how he kind of lost contact with them or how like they've kind of gone on to have families and everything and then it cuts back to the present time and you see he's announcing a baseball game that Benny is playing in and like at the end Benny like looks up at him and like points to him and it's like there's this like cute little moment between them as adult men and at the time I was like wait They never talk about what happens with them, other than one is announcing the baseball game and the other is playing in this baseball Mm. game in the major leagues. And I was like, so I started in my head building this like queer fanfic of Benny and Squints. Just they're married. Yeah, absolutely. But it was since it was the '90s; they were secretly married. They were just (laughs) good friends. They were bachelors.
0: They were having a great. They were just roommates. They were simply roommates. I love that
1: because in the '90s, all I had was just like. It was basically just all HIV and AIDS movies because Mm. like I think the same year Philadelphia came out with Tom Hanks which is just good movie but very depressing and I would not want to watch it as a six-year-old so.
0: Did you have that experience of like searching when you got a bit older were you sort of like still a teenager or a young person when you figured out your sexuality was that something that you were like looking for representation as you were growing up or is it something that happened like into adulthood once you'd already kind of like Gotten to that stage in life?
1: I pretty much started looking for it once I got the internet. I would like see certain movies online or not online. There was no online. It was on TV, like on cable. I would like happen to like stumble upon these movies that, for the most part, there were just straight movies that happened to either have a queer character or just were like kind of homoerotic for some reason. One of the things that I could I didn't want to talk about when I was making my other video about Queer Awakenings, the honest truth is I was watching the movie Wild Things, and I was probably like 12 years old, and that was the first other penis I had seen in a movie like that wasn't you near know, my own, and it was Kevin Bacon, and I was just like, at the end of the movie, it just pops out of nowhere, and I was like, whoa, we're allowed to have this? Who loud this? <laughs> what what's going on here? So it's like this weird, super hetero straight movie. Well, I guess not, because Nev Campbell and um what's her name do have a threesome with the other guy. But anyway, it was very like it's it's all male gazy, and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. there's just Kevin Bacon's penis at the end. So it was like, I think it was hard to actually find queer narratives that were actually for me mm-hmm. and I remember kind of trying to seek it out, but it was just depressing. There was a point when I think I was in high school, I looked up like movies that had queer main characters and every single one of them, they're all like indie films and every single one of them had depressing endings. And Mm. so I just, I stopped watching, like I made it a rule in my head. I'm like, I'm not watching any movies with queer people in them anymore because they all end in heartbreak or somebody's dead or somebody gets HIV and dies. And I just didn't want to do it anymore. And then when I was in college, I actually found out about the movie A Beautiful Thing, which is, it does not have an audience in America. And Mm. I was like working at a movie store at the time and found it. So I was like, I rented it and took it home and like just cried in my room because it was the first happy ending I had ever seen for a queer couple. And there were kids too. So I was like my mind was blown and at the time I think I don't remember when it came out I think it was the late 90s like 99 or 2000 early 2000s yeah
0: around there
1: and I was just like at the time I was watching it I think it was like 2007 and I was like I can't believe they made this movie and it took that long for me to get a happy ending and that's when I was like I'm gonna start looking for queer movies that have happy endings instead
0: hmm um if people listening haven't watched beautiful thing can highly recommend you so i hard. will say if you're a youngster and you're used to hd movies um Boy, you can have a good time with this one. Yeah. It's like '90s, '90s, and before, like, and even into the 2000s, gay movies, even the ones that weren't like indie. Like these, I think that this might have been like a Channel Four, maybe, or like a yeah. ha- had had some kind of like a more official funding behind it. It still looks like it's filmed on a potato, but just yeah. look beyond that. To it the... looks like
1: somebody like put it on DVD <laughs> after recording it from a TV. Yes, 100.
0: Um, but it's fantastic and the ending is like absolutely iconic. Like it's yeah. one of those like stunning endings, um, can highly recommend, but it was mm-hmm. like, also while you're watching it, you know, know your history, know what we were having to deal with back in the day, That all our, all our options <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> were these kind of movies. I mean, I definitely think that it's it's uh, exactly as you say, there is this real sense of the, like the bury your gaze trope, like mm-hmm. having a lot of HIV AIDS kind of st- narratives going on. and. Uh, completely depressing like i remember renting a bunch of dvds and i think we bought them from pegadello pictures with my friends and like every single movie was like more depressing than the last yeah. or like just bad uh we were like oh f- thrilling stuff here we really we were like yeah we're going to have a movie night and then it was the most depressing movie night that anyone's ever had but it was it kind of that was all that was really available especially because you're right like you couldn't just google like hello, what is a good movie that has a happy ending that's gay? Like it wasn't really possible you were kind of just trying to kind of figure out the movies and then you wouldn't necessarily have this sort of Wikipedia idea of like, oh, you could know the end of them. It was kind of like you were you were really uh, limited to what the blurb was kind of going to give away to you. And a lot of the times you had these very traumatic endings that kind of came out of nowhere or just weren't really signposted either. So it was pretty tough to... To find that stuff, I mean, like for you, as as we're going through, we, we kind of started with your first chronological option. How many years are we skipping to get to your to your second choice?
1: Um, I feel like we're only skipping a couple because the second choice was Batman and Robin. But I feel like oh, I've course. said all I ha- almost all I had to say. I think it's just the nipples on the bat suit, mm-hmm. and then Uma Thurman, obviously, just chewing up of scenery.
0: Course. I would love to know, like, if you took a a survey of like different queer people of all the different versions of Batman like which one had collectively and I feel like Batman and Robin is probably the top of the list in terms of like which one felt the queerest like, which one awoke you
1: I re-watched it recently because I think it was after Joel Schumacher died I think he died last year but I didn't even realize that he was gay until I think maybe relatively recently like within the past like 10 years or so and when I found out I was like Oh, now Batman and Robin makes so much more sense. Okay, that's why it connected with me and, like, a bunch of other queer people. (laughs) And I rewatched it recently, and it's not a good movie. It's actually... the script is awful. Like, it's just so cheesy, but I couldn't help but laugh the entire time. And it looks great. So I was like, okay, this is all style over substance, which is very, I think for a movie in the 90s, very queer. And I appreciated very that. Very
0: very camp energy. Yes. I think a lot of people talk about the resilience of the queer community in regards to like our very real suffering. But I feel like our resilience is simply being able to watch bad movies. Yeah.
1: And enjoy it too.
0: Having to go through that and enjoy them. (laughs) I think that's pretty great of us to do. I also think that there's like, having said Batman and Robin, I would also put in a uh, a vote for... The Batman Lego movie and just the aggressive queer coding of the Joker through that entire movie like it's not it's not even coding at that point it's, ju- it's just like a recurring joke through the entire movie that the Joker is in love with Batman that's like the whole his whole plot and I'd be very interested to see if there's anyone coming up now who watched that when they were like kind of kid age who was who would re-watch it now and be like, oh, I know what I was thinking in my head subconsciously while I was watching this movie. It all makes sense. I was the Joker. <laughs> I was in love with Batman this entire time.
1: I haven't seen that. Now I have to watch it.
0: <laughs> it's can recommend. It's unhinged. I like a good movie. This is why I'm excited for the Barbie movie. Because I like a good movie oh, yeah. that is kind of like a brand movie but has some kind of self-awareness. Which it yeah. looks like the Barbie movie is going to have in spades and what I am very much hoping that we'll be able to do on the podcast as like an, as a movie option I'm like can I justify even if there's no surely there's going to be some queer characters in that movie but if not is it just queer enough as a concept that I can justify us talking about it on the podcast
1: Kate McKinnon I is one of the so. Barbies so yes the answer is yes
0: you know what yes that's very true <laughs> I
1: think there's one entire episode just on Kate McKinnon in the Barbie movie I think you can do that
0: just a whole plot be like hi we're going to be reviewing this one scene from the Barbie movie where kate mckinnon's barbie like that is made to kiss another barbie doll yeah that's it i'm calling it now um amazing yeah i feel like i mean superheroes in general are also just very gay just the idea of like i have a secret identity that i can't tell anyone it's very hidden like nobody can know i i you know i pretend to be one person through my life and then i have this other person that makes me feel so much stronger and more powerful but i can't let anyone know i'm like that's gay my friends that's very gay (laughs)
1: Yeah, the superheroes are drag queens.
0: Right? That's it's it. very 100%. Now I just want to go to like a superhero themed drag show so badly. That would be so cool.
1: <laughs> I'm sure there's tons of them.
0: There must be, surely. Amazing. Let's go on to your next pick.
1: I forget what it was that you said that made me remember this, but I don't know what year it came out, but the movie Two Wang Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar.
0: <gasps> yes.
1: That movie was something that I saw, I think it was on like just on TV one night when I was a kid. And I don't think I had an understanding what drag queens were. So like, obviously that movie tells you, but I remember at the time that I knew at least Wesley Snipes and Patrick Swayze were both famous people. And I was just like, they're doing gay stuff in this and they are famous people. And I started watching it and it's such an interesting movie that was made and i don't think they would have even made that movie now i feel like the Mm. 90s was the only time you can get away with making a movie like that because it uncovers a lot of kind of like queer trauma in a way that is kind of cathartic i think for queer people but also it's funny and it's empowering too and it also just brings up the fact that like middle america is not ready for drag at all which even more obvious now. But I just remember watching it as a kid and being like, oh, this is really interesting. I can't believe that they made this movie. And also who is the audience for this movie? And I was surprised that at the time they thought that there was a bunch of queer people that will show up for this movie. And they can pay these actors to do it.
0: Yeah, because it wasn't it wasn't that these characters were like the joke. It wasn't like, hey, this is a comedy movie, and it's funny because these these people are dressing in way, like these famous actors are dressing as women. How crazy. Even though it's funny, it does take itself quite seriously as well yeah. in a lot of the a lot of the scenes in the narrative. Yeah, it's also we love on this podcast to just declare things are queer. We're just like, yeah, this is just like water in movies, inherently queer. <laughs> the moon, always queer. Yeah. Moonlight was a real <laughs> that was every single scene in that movie I was Beach, like, well Moon. Water, queer. moon, what do we moonlight? I feel like road trips. these yeah. There is there is just like a disproportionate amount of road trip narratives within queer culture and I love that. Yeah. I feel like and also some underrated ones. Obviously I feel like Priscilla and is kind of like the standout that a lot of people talk about, but yeah. um Shiny Shrimps as well, the French movie from a couple of years ago, it's I great. Oh, it's amazing. It's about a gay, the like the world's worst gay water polo team. And um, they are training to go to the gay Olympics, which is an actual thing, the gay games. Um, and they end up being coached by this guy who is only coaching them as a punishment because he is recorded saying something allegedly homophobic. He's like, not a water he's like a i think he's a olympic swimmer and so part of his like punishment by the olympic board to allow him to like continue to compete is that he has to coach this water polo team and it's just this like crazy ratio but it's great because it's this real mix of different ages of queer men all of their different attitudes towards like queer rights at the time and all of these different kind of allowing for an ensemble of queer people who don't all agree with each other, but are all like really tight-knit friends and kind of like a community. And I feel like that road trip element of throwing kind of different people together, having them meet lots of people along the way does lend itself to a queer narrative, especially as you said, if you're going through like middle America or places in which you're going to go through towns that aren't necessarily, not necessarily that they're inherently homophobic but that people just haven't been exposed to people who are different to them yeah. and like having this narrative that's focused around queer people that but that allows for like growth and optimism for the straight and cis communities as well is always very fun yeah. so love a good road trip
1: I love road trip stories I know I mean all that stuff in the world obviously road trip
0: exactly but
1: I just it's hard to write a book that's a road trip movie because it's like part of road trips is seeing everything that's in the <laughs> And it's Trust like me, you have there's to some, there's sit there and... stuff
0: outside of the yeah. car you, it's totally <laughs> and then you past. can
1: you can have like a short scene where they're obviously driving from one place to another but in a book it's like you can't have that every other chapter where they're driving to the next location but it's like i just like the kind of it's almost like there's like little vignettes that would happen along the way too but all st- serve the all-encompassing story i just love road trip stories that's
0: it. They're just so good. Yeah. I mean, that was an excellent pick. I feel like I didn't watch that until really recently. I kind of wish that I would watched it a bit earlier because it's such an i kind of such an iconic film, but also not necessarily very well known. Yeah.
1: I feel like it was like it was switched here in America where we didn't get Priscilla until later. Mm. I know it was like a cult movie. I think they had like midnight showings in the U.S., but it never had like a traditional big release. And I do know that I think, like, this uh, Tu Fu was, like, in production when Priscilla came out. So, like, they thought, oh, cool, we have a drag queen road trip movie. We can kind of piggyback on that. But then I think it just never became a big thing in the U.S. So um, until I think maybe the late 90s, early 2000s, I think I started hearing about it more. That was one of the movies that I saw on TV It like, probably midnight one night. It just happened to be on cable. And I was just like, oh, I've heard about this movie. I'll I'll sit down and watch it finally. And I'm not sure what I was expecting. I think I was expecting something more comedic, like Tu Wang Fu, because Priscilla does have a lot more, I think, depth, but I'm okay with that. I think I was like kind of surprised by how in the weeds they get with their emotions in the movie. And I think that's why it's maybe slightly a little bit above too long foot.
0: how could you possibly pit them against each other <laughs> they're like the other
1: this hour. they're like a little
0: <laughs> so close there's yeah. nothing between them oh my gosh no i mean it's it's such a an interesting thing especially i feel like now it's more homogenized in terms of the movies are kind of released everywhere like you're gonna be and even if they aren't necessarily like on a streamer you're get recommended them on tiktok or someone like you'll end up being able to find it yeah that you it's a lot more homogenized i feel like there's probably a ton of um movies because like the uk had a surprising amount of queer indie movies or even movies that got co-produced by the bbc and channel four like in the in the 90s and into the 2000s and stuff that's out of print right stuff i i read a lot of academic articles about representation and there are so many movies that get referenced that are just like no longer available to watch yeah. um or you could probably like message the director and be like hi can i get a copy of that random film you made i
1: never thought about that
0: it's like really it, uh, the bfi the british film institute has definitely been remastering or like getting out of the basement uh some movies so they did a watermelon woman was one of the ones that they were involved in trying to kind of preserve it as a movie that's like important to the queer community and specifically the black queer community Mm -hmm. so i went to a screening of that a few years ago that previously i mean it was really you wouldn't have been able to find it almost um anywhere online so i definitely feel like there's probably some some of those movies that people vaguely remember in their heads but couldn't quite place what the title was or like they saw it on TV and and it's almost like been lost to time, which is something that you don't necessarily think of with film because it seems like it's so like physical physically there like surely a film it can be stored it can but uh, especially back before digital when you were just using film like you'd literally have to have these film canisters that would have to be preserved and having worked at a film school it was like a real even there like race against time to digitize all of these film stock before they kind of degraded to the point where they couldn't be salvaged so I do wonder about queer movies that haven't necessarily stood the test of time because they just haven't no one had a copy that could be digitized fast enough for it to be preserved
1: and there's actually i i think it was on TikTok, somebody posted a video about a movie from i think 1993 or 94. it's a cuban movie called strawberries and chocolate and i had never heard of this movie and it was nominated for best foreign film in the oscars that year and I think it's Cuban's only movie to ever get nominated for... I could be wrong about that, but I think at the time it was either its first or it's it's maybe its only. So I like immediately looked it up, and I think maybe there's a DVD that's out of print somewhere. But it's a story between two gay guys in, I believe, the 90s in Cuba. And I think if a movie should be preserved, I feel like that's one of them, because it was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film. But also, where else are we going to have like a snapshot of what the 90s were like in Cuba, especially for queer people? So now I'm like on the hunt for it. I'm trying to see if I can get a copy of it or like a digital download somewhere. I know that there is pirated ones because I've Googled it, but I have not watched it. And the quality is probably terrible because it's Mm -hmm. ripped from a DVD and whatever, when they were digitizing things in the early 2000s. But I'm curious to know... Because it was, I think, there was somebody, One, there's an actor who actually bought the rights to screen it in America. And I forget who it was, but Miramax released it and distributed it, which was owned by Harvey Weinstein. And when he went to prison, I think they pretty much dismantled everything in Miramax and sold every, all their rights off. Mm. So who even knows if they still had it at the time. But I think that's going to be one that's like, you can only get through piracy or through, like, old old printings of a dvd that were from 2000
0: yeah i mean interestingly that's kind of what's potentially going to be happening with anything that was like an exclusive to online streamers if the streamer which already has happened if the streamer goes down or decides it doesn't want to keep that up on its servers then it kind of just disappears into the ether apart from piracy (laughs) because it's not going to be kind of like out on dvd or anything so it's yeah it's 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 always interesting i feel like it'll be Like even now people are looking at what's happening with the cancellation of queer shows and and all that kind of thing and looking at like in 10 years time people will be looking on the back on what's happening now with more of an understanding of how it impacts the future of of cinema and and all that kind of stuff is really so fascinating and not at all depressing yeah it's so (laughs) so much fun So at this point in the podcast, uh, hopefully you are enjoying yourself. If you are and you're thinking, wow, I wish there was some more quality podcasts that I could listen to, But, but what? Well, we're here to tell you. uh, We are, as you all know, I'm sure, part of the Multitude Collective, and they have some other amazing podcasts under their belt that we can recommend to you. So the one we're gonna be talking about today is Join the Party, which is an actual play podcast. So that is incredible storytelling in these fantastical worlds with collaborators who make each other laugh every single week. DM, Eric, and the wonderful players, Amanda, Brandon, and Julia, welcome everyone to the table from longtime TTRPG players to folks who've never touched a role-playing game before. Their current campaign is a pirate story set in a world of plant and bug folk, uh, amazing, so you can hop into that if you want to, or you can marathon their completed stories with the Camp Pain, a monster of the week game set in a weird summer camp, campaign two for a modern superhero game, or campaign one for a high fantasy story, depending on, you know, what's your flavor of choice. Plus, once a month, they release the after party where they answer your questions about the show and how they play the game. So what are you waiting for? Pull up a chair and join the party. Search for Join the Party in your podcast app or go to jointhepartypod.com. We would also love to thank the .gay domain for sponsoring this episode and offering our listeners, that's you, a free .gay domain for a whole year. .com tired, .co.uk uninspiring, .gov no thank you, gay is where it's at—a community-focused domain that donates 20% of each domain registration to grassroots organizations. Since launching in 2020, over 18,000 individuals, organizations, and businesses have registered a .gay domain name, and they are just getting started. .gay domain is committed to providing a safer internet for LGBTQ+ communities—something we can all get behind by banning and taking down hateful content. So if you're sick of using a domain that doesn't represent you, switch to .gay today. Head over to our .gay domain, queermoviepodcast.gay, to get a free .gay domain name of your choice for your own website or brand for an entire year. Because, you know, who doesn't wanna make the internet a little bit more gay? Very exciting news, gang. We actually have two sponsors this episode. We are going up in the world. And our second sponsor is, of course, the amazing return sponsor, incredible supporter of the podcast, Squarespace. If you're looking to uh, build a website, We got you covered. Squarespace is an all-in-one place to do just that. You can build a site, set up an online shop and connect with your audience. So we of course use Squarespace to make our website, the Queer Movie Podcast. I also used it to make my own website. I have a ton of projects, so it was so useful to be able to have multiple pages, link out to different sites and have my social media, not just linked so people could click on it and go to the website, but also connected. So it displays posts from your social profiles Directly on your website plus if like me you've never been relaxed a day in your life you love to look at numbers and charts they also have some incredible analytics and insights that can help you grow your business if that is something you are interested in you can go in and check out like where are the sales coming from where are those site visits coming from what keywords are being used to find me you know all the useful stuff that then if you are smarter than me you then use to your benefit rather than just looking at all of the statistics and going wow that's very interesting like I do. They have a bunch of other really exciting features like a donation function so you can encourage donations on your site for a course that you care about and I've said it once I've said it a hundred times their design function is incredible. The templates, the ability to customize everything and also make sure that your website looks good on a web browser on your laptop, your iPad and mobile which all the cool kids are using it turns out i'm an old woman so i love to browse the web on my computer but all of the kids these days they're agile they're mobile and um you don't want your website to look like trash when they're on their phones so check out squarespace.com forward slash queer movie for a free trial and when you're ready to launch use offer code queer movie to save 10 off your first purchase of a website or domain okay and now it's time to go back to the show <laughs> Let's Okay, in which case, let's move on to, do you have, how many more? Is it one more have you got?
1: I actually wrote down two while we were talking, but <gasps> uh, one is a TV show. It's not like, there was really only, it only became explicitly queer in the fourth season of Buffy. I loved <gasps> Buffy growing up. Oh, I think Buffy choice. is like the formative piece of media that like affected me and my writing probably the most. I know there's a lot of people who hate pop culture in my writing, but it's stuck in there because of Buffy. So that was like one of the shows that was, I think, one of the only shows when I was a kid where I'm sorry, friends, I'm not doing anything on a Tuesday at eight o'clock when Buffy is on because Mm -mm. that's more important than you. And that was like one of the only ones that I watched every single episode live, even from the first episode, because I was like, they had you know, little things that you could read what was on TV so you didn't have to flip through the channel. And so I saw like this two-hour block called Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I was like, oh, I remember I saw that movie. It was fine. I'll watch that. And I put it on. I was like, this is not Buffy the Vampire Slayer. (laughs) And I just kept watching. I was like, oh, how stupid. They turned a, a movie into a TV show. Who would do that? And then I just kept watching it. And I never left. I think that is one of the most formative pieces of queer media I've ever watched. And I still love it to this day.
0: I I completely agree. I feel like it's such an iconic piece of pop culture. It has this real campness to it. It does have like explicit queerness within Willow's character that was, felt very revolutionary to have that within like an established and loved like yeah. main character, even within an ensemble show that was just really exciting. Obviously <laughs> iconic for <laughs> more depressing gay reasons uh, <sighs> in- was it like series six? Six, yeah. Yeah. Poor Tara. I, my like hot take, which so many people disagree with, is that I think season five of Buffy is like one of the best seasons of it television. It 100% it's like is. It's so good. And I think the only people who disagree are Dawn haters and I just simply <laughs> don't agree with them. Um, I, I can't relate.
1: I was a Dawn hater and I still <gasps> loved season five. And then I genuinely love what they did with Dawn's character because she was... We have to all admit, she was very annoying. And it was also kind of, I thought it was annoying that they like brought in this whole new character and pretended like we were supposed to know she was in the background the entire time because I'm sitting there thinking back in my head and I'm like, did they even mention her? And then they gaslight you for I think like six episodes Mm. before you find out that she's a magical being that's been put in there. And I loved that. I was
0: just gonna say like, I I didn't watch it live. So I kind of like had... (laughs) I think I got bought the VHS or the DVDs or whatever by my brother older brothers um, who were like, "You're gonna love this," and I cannot imagine how absolutely batshit wild it would have been to be watching that live, where you just get to the end of I think it's like the first it's the episode, f- first
1: episode with Dracula. Season five, it's, episode, two, it's by the Dracula <laughs>
0: episode, which I w- weirdly wrote an essay about that was to do with the adaptations of Dracula. And that was, like, the adaptation I chose, which absolutely was not, I think, what my (laughs) professor at University College wanted me to do. But I was like, it's really interesting. It's so meta. It's so good. And then it just ends with, like, this reveal that Buffy has a sister who you literally have never, ever heard of before. She's never been mentioned. Absolutely not. And obviously, I could go straight on to the next episode in the DVD and be like, what? This is wild. But I imagine it being, like, being completely gaslit to watch it live. That you're like, wait, what is happening? Like, what am I... Am I an idiot? Like, if I miss an entire season, did I miss a whole character?
1: I had like the DVDs of the earlier seasons, and I think after the episode ended, I like took the season one DVD and I was like, in my head, I'm like, all right, when would they have mentioned it? I was like, wait, her dad, what are the episodes that her dad come in? And I'm like, so I'm like rewatching episodes where her dad shows that. up or doesn't show up. And I'm like, they never mentioned this character. It's so good. But they even hint at the fact that they can do that in the ep- the season before when Jonathan became the main character. And you're not told that he is now the main character. And they redid the entire opening credits to include jonathan in all of the scenes that where buffy is fighting the vampires because he did a spell and you're not told until halfway through the episode so I was like i love it i should have known that they were gaslighting us because they've done <laughs> it before
0: i feel like as well like willow's character was such i i felt like such an affinity with because i was like this nerdy unpopular like yeah. uh, not very cool girl who yeah fully wished that she was magic and and all of this kind of stuff and i feel like that also just like the relationship with her and tara was so just like sweet and gentle like it wasn't sexualized in a way that i think a lot of lesbian media had been where it was sort of like a um either because it was literally porn or because it was uh, this like sexy femme fatale like dark like sexual psychological thriller element yeah. to it. And so that was, I think, for me as well, like one of the first times I'd seen those kind of relationships that felt like it was had a like a genuine sweetness and authenticity to it, which was very exciting to see. Did love that.
1: And that was actually Tara and Willow was the first queer kiss on television, on broadcast television in the United States that was not played for jokes. Mm. It was the first one that had ever been like just a lesbian couple in a relationship. And so like apparently they had done in the 90s like every single time they had a queer kiss they used it as like a way to boost the ratings of the show. So they would just have it be like an event where at the end there'd be like a joke kiss between two guys or a joke kiss between two girls. And this one they didn't do that at all. And it was in The Body, which is the most devastating episode of all time of any TV show. Any
0: TV show in the world, yes. And it's
1: just, it's this one moment where Tara is just trying to make Willow feel better while she's like bursting into tears and she just kisses her and that's it. And there's no focus on it. It's just a kiss. And then they go on about the rest of their grieving. And it's like such a beautiful moment between them. And I'm so glad that they had that.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think that like there's a lot of, I think it would have been prior to that, or I guess around the same time maybe, were shows that were creeping up on that idea. So my absolute favorite just like fail of of opportunity is friends having not just the lesbian characters of like Ross's ex-wife, but like having them get married and then just not letting them kiss yeah. at their own wedding is the, just my favorite just unhinged so decision weird. from, from like, you may now kiss the bride. Nope. Um, But I love that that it's so interesting looking back at stuff that was like being produced around the same time or that was kind of crossing over with each other and how quickly things were being pushed, like limits were being pushed on some networks or with some kind of like, whether it was cable versus broadcast or whether it was movies versus TV. I mean, TV generally tends to push ahead in terms of representation in comparison to movies. But like how quickly you went from not being able to show a, a gay kiss to like Queer as Folk just proper explicit <laughs> fucking on screen uh like a few years later, it's so interesting to me. That was like, the fact that Queer as Folk is going back to the idea of like trying to find age appropriate stuff. Like yeah. I watched <laughs> Queer as Folk way too early. Like I feel like that's kind of a universal experience for people Absolutely. around my age where you find it and you're like, and it also, I think I found it around when you were able to, if you were like tech savvy that you could figure out pirating in some ways so I know especially in the UK that was the
1: only way I could watch it because I didn't have showtime at the time
0: (laughs) you were like let me just but me and my friends used to watch it and pretend we were revising like I'd fully go around my friend's house and we would just watch Queer Folk instead of doing our homework it was great um but it was like it was not at all appropriate for our age group I think we were like 13 14 at the time but it is which is kind of like both funny and tragic in a weird way In that it is just very very kind of silly but also it's also sad that there was no alternatives. That it was like yeah. okay this is the only way you're going to be able to find representation is like stuff that's like explicit out of your age range inherently tragic like even though it was this kind of like shared funny experience it was also a bit like hmm, maybe i should have had some alternatives you know <laughs> that would have been quite nice would have been
1: nice to have Heartstopper back then
0: oh that would have been very nice i do i do like i find really interesting I, i've loved reading there's so many long reads and and opinion pieces that came out after Heartstopper, the the show came out about the like the feelings and the emotions and like the w- s- weird unpredictable reaction that a lot of like older queer people had yeah. to the show, and that it was like you can both love it, think it's very sweet, be so happy for all of the young queer people, and then also have this real sense of like grief in your own understanding of like oh I never got to have that, like yeah. I I will never be able to experience this like idea of having a carefree romance or like all of all of this kind of stuff that you never really had so I, that's always been very interesting to me if you haven't watched heartstopper again uh you it's know where have you been it's time for a rewatch if you already have very exciting also the fact that alice announced that it's uh volume 6 is like the last one and there's volume 5 dates already been announced and i'm like yes. Oh my god, it's going to end! I forgot. I forgot that that's like it's not just that we're going to make Alice literally write this webcomic for the rest of their life. Um, it will in fact be. It will in fact come to an end at some point.
1: My main goal is to have Isaac reading one of my books in one of the series before it ends. So, putting it out there into the universe.
0: Do you know what? That's a great. That's a great goal to have. I yeah. feel like Isaac reads your book is like, that's.
1: You know, you've made it.
0: Yeah, that makes that does make a lot of sense you got to just, what, what you've got to do is figure out where they're filming, sneak onto the set with like a pile of the books, spill them accidentally, hope that one of them gets left behind, the prop, scoops it up, says that must be one of the books from the, that was meant to be in the bedroom.
1: I mean, we share the same publisher, so.
0: I mean, it'll be rude. It'll be rude for them not to, not to make <laughs> it happen. Um, Were there any other choices before we wrap up?
1: There's one last one and it's the most recent Amazing. one. And okay. it is... Again, I, like, didn't even do any explicitly queer movies in this, but this is, like, my Happy Place movie now. It's Barb and Stargood of Vista Del Mar. It came out in 2020, and, like, the height of the pandemic, it is so irreverent. It's kind of like if there was, like, an Austin Powers movie now, but it was just the main characters were middle-aged white women from Nebraska and they go on vacation. Jamie Dornan is in it, and I think that I would like to start a petition for Jamie Dornan to be a queer icon just because of this movie. I don't think a heterosexual man has gotten the point of a movie any better than Jamie Dornan has in this movie, and he is so funny. He does not outshine anybody. He just shows up and looks pretty and does all of his scenes the way he needs to do it, it is campy as hell. It's fantastic. I have probably, it's, I think, the newest movie that I have watched the most. I think I have watched it maybe nine times in the three years that it has since come out. And it is so funny. It never fails to put me in a better mood after I'm watching it. Plus, every time you watch it, it feels like you're on vacation, too.
0: I had not heard of this movie. You have And to I have just Googled the, the poster for it is... Oh, yeah. It's like—is
1: it the one when they're on a shrimp?
0: Yes. What? What was that? What was that illustrator who used to? Lisa illustrate? Frank. Yes, yes. it's Lisa Frank Core, and I'm obsessed with it.
1: And the, uh, basically, I think the entire movie is like that. So it's for anybody who doesn't know, it is Barb and Star are they're in they work at a furniture sales store in Nebraska, and they get fired because their store is closing. And they're both kind of in a rut. I think Barb's a widow and Star is... her husband divorced her after cheating on her. And they're just trying to kind of get their groove back. And they decide they're going to take a trip. So they go to Florida. And at the same time, Kristen Wegg is in it. She plays dual roles. She plays the villain as well. And she is targeting the town that they are going to visit. And she bioengineered mosquitoes. kill everybody in the town and she sends her henchman jamie dornan there to kill everybody he is trying to kill everybody because he's in love with the villain and just wants to be an official couple that's it and she does not she's kind of like asexual she doesn't like him at all but she's using him as a pawn and the entire time is like it's it's completely bonkers it starts out with a um uh barbara streisand lip sync (laughs) with this little korean kid on a bicycle and he's just delivering newspapers but then it ends up like really ominous it's so so funny and it is very much my hu- it's like i've never seen a movie that feels like it was made for me like i don't think it's entirely possible everybody else in the world hates this movie i am the only person who absolutely loves this movie this is like my citizen kane i have never loved a movie more on its first watch than I have with this movie. It's incredible, I love it.
0: Eric, I'm not gonna lie to you, I could not have predicted a single sentence that came out of your mouth. (laughs) There's musical numbers. Jamie oh, Dornan sings okay. the musical yeah, number no, and
1: he rips off his shirt in the musical number and apparently it wasn't scripted. He just did it and they were like, all right, we're going to keep this. He just felt the
0: need. felt the drive. He was like, that's just, you know, I was possessed by the character. I was going method. I'm, okay, well, all right, I'm just going to leave that in a tab in the background so that if I ever need to pick me up, I, I'm uh, this week, I'm on it. And
1: th- I'm not going to spoil it. There is a cameo at the end of it that's incredible and it's just... Fantastic. Bonkers! I love it. It's wild. The entire movie is wild.
0: Also, I love how the the like one sentence summary on IMDb is: "Lifelong friends Barb and Star embark on the adventure of a lifetime when they decide to leave their small Midwestern town for the first time ever." Which didn't include, I, I would say, a lot of the absolutely batshit stuff you just mentioned. But also, I'm I'm in my head, I'm like. Moving away from your small town. It's mm-hmm. So queer. So but it's queer. to Florida. Wow. So not that queer. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's, it's to most of Florida, no. Then there's Disney in the middle. Like it's like a kind of Vatican in Rome situation yeah. where it's like, yeah, this is the gay bit in the middle. And then it's like the rest of Florida. Amazing. Those were some incredible choices. Thanks.
1: I love them all.
0: Those were some stunning, stunning choices. 10 out of absolute 10. I'm hoping that at least one of them will have resonated with each listener to to go and check them out or to rewatch them, to give them another go.
1: If I got three people to watch Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, I will have succeeded. I can actually retire from writing, I think.
0: I mean, please don't, but yeah, you could, you absolutely could. Thank you so much for joining me. This was so much fun.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Where can people find you if they have uh, loved what they've heard? If they want to check out the books, what's the best place to find you online?
1: I'm on TikTok and Instagram. As long as Twitter is still active, I guess I'm there as well. Um, And then there's also my website, ericjbrown.com, has up-to-date information as often as I can update it.
0: Amazing. Uh, that is it for another episode of the Queer Movie Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, then make sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast so you are primed for our next one in your podcast app of choice. And if you really liked what you hear, considering supporting us over on Patreon, where we have some very fun perks on offer, we got monthly uh, movie watch-alongs, we've got top 10 lists, we've got Jazza collects all of the gayest stuff that they find on the internet to uh, give you a cute little newsletter. And you can also follow us as well on Twitter and Instagram for behind the scenes content as and when we remember to post it i have been rowan ellis we are edited by julia Shafini and are part of multitude find more of their amazing stuff at multitude productions thank you so much and hopefully you'll be hearing from us very soon bye